This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. <coughs> no, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. Hello, can I be here interrupting the show before it even starts? This is a post-show recording where I need to explain that the original program, podcast, with all its content ran quite long. And despite the topic being Korean cinema, which we all know is quite long, I thought it'd be better and would be a more easily consumed experience for you listeners if I cut the original coverage of Breathless and Hansel and Gretel into two episodes. Now, I promise to be better at recognizing that the outline prepared will probably generate a long show and therefore will record two separate episodes on the night, so I don't need to do all of this. But hey, live and learn, yeah. So I will pop up a few times during the show just to set up the new context, talk a little of the editing now that the show about two movies turned into a show about one movie. So see you and happy listening. Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 15 on Breathless and Hansel and Gretel. And we are this time diving into the world of independent Korean cinema. Perhaps it's poster boy even as we take a look at Jang Ik-jun's hard-hitting family drama Breathless from 2008. But we also give Korea's seemingly rare venture into fairy tale horror and fantasy a look. And that comes in the form of Jim Pilsung's Hansel and Gretel. And Breathless and Hansel and Gretel were two titles that were brought to the UK through Terracotta Distribution. So with me can it be... Paul Quinn of Hango Celluloid is also in separate recordings. Joey Lung of Terracotta. So uh, you'll get a break from our Korean cinema babble. And uh, you get to hear from someone else. Someone on the front lines of acquiring Korean cinema and bringing them to the UK. So that'll come up later in the show. So before the contact information, you might as well plug away. Because um, um, I'm, I'm interested what's been going on so far in 2015 for Hango Celluloid Paul Quinn. Like the, uh, the only, only Northern Irish man dealing in Korean cinema. Do you think that's a fair thing to assume? Or, or are there a bunch of you, like, uh, competing? Yeah, they keep they keep appearing. You know, you think you're the only one. And I actually spoke to Andrew Heskins, who runs Eastern Kicks, which is another great Asian film site. And he said, oh, I've got a new writer. He's from you know, Lurgan, which is about two miles up the road from me. And I thought, what? I'm I'm the only Northern Irish Korean film person. Let's take him out. Who is this person? Where does he live? <laughs> you know, has anybody got a gun or a big stick? Um, so obviously there are a few of us about. A good breed, Paul. You're a good breed. As long as they don't get as loud as me, opinionated as me, it's fine. You know, I've got to be at the top of the pile. And they can all hang around, but if they get in my way, no. So there's a there's a fair few. I think it's the fact that there's nothing to do in Northern Ireland through the day on television. They constantly show still the water margin, monkey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you 
you're growing up there, you can't help but get into Asian cinema. And sooner or later, you're gonna somebody's gonna pick to go Japanese, somebody's gonna pick to go Korean. I'm not on my own, but you know, I'm sorry, I'm the best. There you go. <laughs> okay, go go on and plug your stuff then, and tell us what's uh, been going on so far in 2015. This is uh, sort of almost mid February for us recording this, so the floor is yours. 2015 buddy. has been a long time starting. It's I had a difficult end to 2014. It was insanely busy, so I. I've sort of been taking it quite slowly and steadily and a few magazine articles, a couple of podcasts, getting back to reviews and I'm now at the point where I've got enough energy to start thinking about getting in touch with people and getting a few interviews. So it may be February, but for me it's still sort of January and I'm I'm pulling it back together for 2015 and hopefully I'll kick myself in the ass to get the rest of the year to catch up really. Right on, and uh, for uh, reference sake, uh, do do plug your URL and your various uh, endeavors out there on the web. I am Paul. I run Hangle Celluloid. You can find me at hanglecelluloid dot com. Um, I'm on Facebook at facebook dot com hanglecelluloid. I'm on Twitter at twitter dot com slash hanglecelluloid, and you can find me writing for Unfolded Magazine as well, um, which is unfolded dot com, I think or foldedmag.com. I should have checked that out first, shouldn't I, really? All right. <laughs> you, 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 have, you have a cheeky little background picture on your Facebook page, a, a picture I don't think is real as such, like a lot of beautiful Korean women holding big Paul Quinn Hangle celluloid business cards. I don't think that's real, Paul. But I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty dim with it, as you well know. So there are, there are two questions you usually get asked about that. One, are they normal size business cards and are the ladies really tiny and two do you like photoshop and it's probably a bit of both um yeah it's faked i was bored on a saturday afternoon and i i i just done a set of business cards and i thought you know what i need a picture it needs to be that and uh I rigged it up, I'm afraid. But it does have to be said, it's only on my personal Facebook page. There's nothing fake on the actual site page, etc., etc. So, you know, a lie for me, but not the site. Right on. And uh, that's good. We got your contact information and your uh, cheeky little endeavors out of the way. And uh, let's just run through the network uh, contact information really quickly before we dive into this Korean cinema shenanigans and this is what korean cinema on podcastonfire.com paul will probably never forgive me for being a, a stupid immature little maybe 29 year old when i asked that question on the podcast what's korean cinema not in that tone but it was really immature i don't think paul will ever forgive me but hey as we said before it generated that silly joke generated a podcast called what's korean cinema and we're 15 episodes in so i'm i'm, I'm you know i'm making up for my sin if you will Slowly but surely. And we are on podcastonfire.com. Check out this show, all the other shows and bonus episodes on there. If you have any questions or feedback or any other random thoughts, please email us at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are also on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash PUF Network is the site's uh, page on Facebook that you can like. And we also have a discussion group there where you can follow show updates and uh, some good old discussions. Uh, you can follow the link in the about section on the page I just said the URL to or type in podcast on fire network in the Facebook search bar and you'll reach us. We are on Twitter. Search us out at podcast on fire. You'll find our tweets that way. 
I do re- reviews of Hong Kong cinema, Taiwanese cinema, and uh, various uh, Hong Kong produced but internationally flavored crap ninja cinema, if you will. Uh, Richard Harrison exploitation cinema, if you will. IFD film arc, Taiwan black movies, Hong Kong category free movies, and various genres. You can find that at SoGoodReviews.com. And I also do small video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. What's Korean Cinema is available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe. And if you have a moment in your life, like Paul had a little bored Saturday afternoon moment. So take a break from your Photoshop endeavors, people, because I know you all do it. And write a sentence or two if you have it in you about What's Korean Cinema if you liked us. If you didn't like us, we'd like some reviews up there and that they would very much be constructive and helpful and would help to raise the profile of the show a little bit. And if you don't down- like downloading podcast to your device, you can use Stitcher Radio. They have an online presence, but also application, an application available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play as well. Can be here with a post recording, which is reality, a re-recording of our rundown of what's to come now that this episode is shortened. So I'd like to give you a basic uh, overview of what's to come, and each section is noted in the show post with a timestamp. So if you want, you can jump ahead to any section you want, like the review, talk of the actors, etc. So in this episode, we have the breathless section, and remember, this was recorded. With a second section on Hansel and Gretel that is now split up into two. And we'll talk some production background initially. After that, actor and director Jang Ik Jun, his biography and our discussion on him and leading lady Kim Kotby follows. After that, I'll be chatting with Joey Lung of Terracotta Distribution about their history and how they brought Breathless to the UK. And after that, we finally review the movie. So let's dive into it. Breathless from 2008 and plot from IMDb. A bit a lone shark, the character of Sang Hoon, played by the film's writer and director Yang Ik Jun, strikes a, strikes up a friendship with a troubled schoolgirl, the character of Yon Hee, played by Kim Kotby, as he faces his own troubled past with his abusive father. So that's that. It's a fairly long movie, but simple enough to get into. So let's uh, do some slight production background. Again, written, produced, directed, and starring Jang Ik Jun, a one-man filmmaking machine almost. Breathless was his first feature as director after mainly being an actor and directing a handful of short films. And in a very good interview by Twitch that we'll link to in the show post, when uh, they did an interview with Jang uh, when the movie played at the 2009 Rotterdam International Film Festival, he discussed the background and some of the making of, which I thought would suitably act as some background material here for our show. And Yang was asked why direct a movie at this time during a perceived low in Korean cinema around about 2008. And just because I'm kind of spontaneous that way, I'm going to stop right there. Is that uh, like a documented like lull or low in Korea cinema around about that time, Paul? Would you say that's fair? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, the whole, you know, the the new Korean cinema wave, which lasted interminably. Um, and, and when we hit 2007, 2008, that had sort of died and nothing else had picked up. So it really was seen as a low point. It just it just was a lull, um, and it didn't take long for it to pull back together. But definitely, it was a low point, and there have been a couple of low points since. But 
nothing to the extent of that period. And uh, Yang said he, uh, at that time, as he went into trying to make this movie, he wanted more younger directors to create a new boom, because the ones responsible for the new wave, like uh, Park Chan-wook, uh, they were getting older. And that was not a slag, obviously, or like a dig at them, but obviously you have to breed new generations of filmmaker. But uh, it all also was a very personal movie for him, Breathless. He drew inspiration from family, his surroundings, and intense emotions of hate and anger. And uh, it was a timing issue. It felt logical to like deal with them within creativity as well. And uh, it wouldn't have like possibly ended up being something creative or a movie at all had he waited a year or two so he felt personally that this is the time for me to get some possible demons out if you will and he's very vocal about this uh, and uh, still a very cheery cheery guy and immature guy as well i don't know don't know if you remember the um the rotterdam uh, documentary uh, that is on the uh, dvd you know, uh, Kim and Yang, they're just goofing off, and he's like, he's like simulating blowjobs <laughs> at one point to the camera, like, check this out, I'm simulating a blowjob. <laughs> it's like, so he's that kind of guy, but he's also very introspective and very, uh, very mature, and he's, uh, you know, mentally aware, clearly, so. I think it's very funny that, that you look at any of the film that you can find of him, you know, the, the Restless DVD, et cetera, et cetera, and he's always smiling, he's always, joking about he's always rather rude i mean there's a whole there's a whole section in that where he goes through the words for genitalia in different languages um and it it, it just seems to be such a joker and when you actually watch the film you just wow you know i mean i've seen he's very very good friends with the director of the london korean film festival hai jung jun and there are pictures of her and him, and she's what? She's a middle-aged lady, very, very proper, very reserved, very lovely lady, but you'll see pictures of her and him together repeatedly, and he's always pulling faces behind her back, you know, sticking his (laughs) tongue at her ear, and you just think, this is the guy that did Breathless? Wow, wow, it's just, it's so polarised what he is as a person and what he... He needed to get out of his system, I suppose. And he's not 22 years old, by the way, listeners. He's actually 39. He's yeah. born in 1975. So uh, there you go. But hey, there's nothing wrong with that. So so, uh, so make all the blowjob uh, gestures you want, Jang Jun. You know, as long as you make good, move, good movies too. But anyway, in terms of the uh, autobiographical elements here, uh, Jang explains that there are some childhood memories in his story here, but it's not the story about him that's uh, on screen in Breathless, but rather fiction with a huge dose of unflinching honesty. And he, he's never super uh, specific about this, but that it, it's, it's certainly slightly private what he's also uh, depicting here. You know, we, um, what's behind the story, if you will. And uh, I think that's uh, I think that's fair, and uh, i got to respect that. But for instance, the gangster element in the movie, because he plays a debt collector, that's all from his mind, rather than a snapshot of his life. And uh, in terms of financing, Breathless was quite a uh, small budget, budgeted compared to the average Korean uh, movie, coming in at about 400,000 US dollars. And apparently the average Korean movie of the time was usually a free 
to five million US dollar endeavor. So there, there's your there's your perspective on finances finances here. And he had to lean on family and friends uh, investing to a degree as uh, well as selling his house to finance the movie. And in his own words, and I love this quote, it was a cheap house though. <laughs> So there you go, it's a sense of humor. Yeah, you know, he, he can afford to make fun of it because of all the success. Maybe, not that he got rich making Breathless, but all the awards and uh, fair box office, as we'll talk of. So he can afford to make that joke now, but I'm sure it was stress, a stressful period at that point. And when going into production, Young drew upon memories of uh, working with talented actors and crew, uh, hardworking actors and crew, so... Uh, that he had made like mental notes of uh, before. And I gotta stop you right there. I just finished listening to um, uh, Richard E. Grant's book, The Wawa Diaries, uh, where he uh, he wrote a diary while making his first movie as director. Um, and, like, and that was depicting his childhood growing up in Swaziland. Uh, Richard E. Grant uh, grew up for a good 12, 13 years in Swaziland. And uh, that was uh, his technique as well. He'd made notes throughout his career of all the, like, good crew mainly that he'd work with throughout the years maybe going back to with nail and i and he tried to bring in as many as he could during that co-production venture Um, highly recommend that book by the way the wawa diaries really like an insight into how difficult it can be to make films you know especially uh, small small budgeted films young did the same thing here he uh he so he so he got a core group created there that was there for the movie not just for the job so it took longer to assemble Therefore, compared to a normal movie, but uh, assemble the uh, cast and crew, he did, and the balance was struck, if you will. And uh, Young thought the making of the movie went very well, therefore, with such good friends around him. You know, friends and staff that, according to him, ninety percent of them were not paid. So talk about like investing in the vision for your friend or someone that you enjoyed working with, because it, it clearly was the other way around too. The people that agreed to the movie probably remembered him as someone that they liked as well. But anyway, a quote from Young. For seven to eight months, people contributed to my movie either by acting or by doing other stuff without being paid. These were people who joined because they liked me as a friend. But it is actually wrong to make a movie like that by not paying them. Very wrong. But they are still my good friends. Uh, That is one of the reasons why I want this movie to succeed, even though I didn't really make Breathless to make money. I still want to pay back what I feel I owe them for all they did for me for such a long time. Good head on his shoulders, and obviously that's proper, and hopefully people have gotten paid to an extent, or the entire extent, if you will, by now. And on the process of writing, Young would go out in open environments, uh, even populated ones, to find inspiration and flow. And he would sit on a bench under trees at university campuses, and along with a couple of beers, he started writing in his notebooks while taking in the atmosphere. A small mountain villages served as creative fuel too, and as he talks of in that interview, a confined space doesn't seem natural and comfortable to him. So that I, I, I love reading something like that, because... I wouldn't, I don't write fiction, okay? But I wouldn't have been able to work in an open environment. I need my closed environment to work and focus. I I love how different we all are in terms of that. I mean, can you, like, on the spot when you're at the, a festival and what have you, sit there and write your review, or do you need absolute silence and your and your cigarettes and your coffee and what have you? I'm, I'm exactly like you. I need to be shut away, at least closed off in my own perception from everything because if you're in the middle of a festival you're in the middle of a festival there is no 
There is no way. You see people with their tablets out scribbling notes. I can't even do that. You know, I just, it's got to be me and the thing, and that's it. Um, Anything else just detracts from it. It it doesn't happen. And a water margin playing on the TV in the background. Well, exactly, yeah. (laughs) And as for the title of the film, Breathless, it's quite far removed from the Korean title, Dongparu, approximate... uh, pronunciation but anyway it means dung fly and that's an insect lives that uh, lives on and eats shit in whatever environment it's in and it's also a word koreans use to describe an outsider of sorts who when trying to get closer gets swatted away by the environment so the title describes uh, those who wants into the circle of normality but have to live outside of the social world in a way but uh, he's told the story many times of the title breathless that uh, he, he has a friend who comes up with his, the English titles for all of his uh, movies because he's done a few short movies and obviously they receive English titles. So it wasn't uh, a huge brainstorming session, but rather a good idea by his friend, I suppose. And uh, it can connect quite, you know, with a straight line, the English title versus the Korean title. But also it wasn't, uh, you know, six months of you know, ah, we finally got it. We finally got them to match these titles. Breathless seemed fine, and uh, Young went with that. You know, and it's uh, it's it, it, it also you know if you Google this movie, you it 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 gets lumped in in good company, I suppose, uh, with the with the other movies. Uh, the Sean, what is it? Sean Luke Godard film Breathless. Yeah. Sean something Godard movie Breathless and what have you. So that's pretty good, but. God helped the movie Friend when that came out. <laughs> Try and Google that epic movie. Nothing wrong with Friends, but Google results are going to favor the sitcom rather oh, than the yeah. Korean movie. Gets pretty difficult. <laughs> so there you go. But anyway, Paul, in terms of independent movies out of Korea, is Breathless quite a rare standout quality-wise, or is it part of like a healthy canon of great movies uh, uh, that's part of the indie scene, you know. You know. So, uh, how does Breathless fare versus uh, some of the other ones? It, it's really a, a hugely double-edged sword, you know. In terms of actual quality, there's there's plethora of incredible independent cinema out there. Um, any of you that that have gone to my site know that I'm obsessed with independent cinema rather than you know the big blockbusters, whatever else. So. I'll search them out, et cetera, et cetera. And there are a huge amount of great films to get your hands on. The problem is getting your hands on them. The hardest thing is the fact that so many of the independent films have such important things to say that are not necessarily pro-society in terms of what Korea is. That They all speak about people on the edge of society, people in trouble, people that are being mistreated by Korean society and the big cinema chains, the big film industry at large doesn't particularly like that. The government certainly doesn't like it. So a lot of these films get get made and they get shown at festival here or a festival there, but getting them released in cinemas, getting them released on DVD is a completely different story. When you watch Breathless, there's there's another director called Lee Sang-woo, um, who I'm a huge fan of, um, who does very similar stuff, probably even more hard hitting, um, and he he releases two films a year. Mm-hmm. None of them none of them get released in cinemas. 
very few of them come out on DVD. And really getting hold of them is insanely difficult. But his stuff is as good quality as Yang Ek Jun's. His stuff is as important. You could go on, you know, Chae Sung Yu, who did a film called Noragay about the death of an actress who was raped throughout her life and she committed suicide because of it. Um, same thing. It's hugely controversial. It's hugely important. And the films are out there. It's just a question of where do you see them? Do you, do you go around every festival you can find in the hopes of seeing them? Because you're not going to see it in cinemas because the society at large doesn't particularly want to to push the fact that there are so many problems that these directors bring forth. Here's the noob question from my end. Is Kim Kidok still considered independent? I, I know he gets play because he's a name and he gets um, DVD distribution outside of Korea. I mean, even Terracotta, I think, has done a Kim Kidok movie or two. But is he, per definition, uh, independent? I would say not. I mean, he he is. I mean, he's he's independent in the actual definition of it. But his name's so well known that he's sort of He's sort of gone way past that. And, and with Pieta and his films since he had his little minor breakdown, um, they've all been hugely lauded and he's been sort of brought back into the fold. And I would actually, he is independent, but I would never consider him to be independent. I see him as a completely separate thing. He's on the edge of the film industry and he's a name. Um, Jang Ek Jun... Lee Sang-yu, Choi Sung-hun, they're all independent as independent can be, and I see that as a different thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about the background, or rather the biography of uh, our lead actor and director, Young Ik Jun. And uh, his, uh, he was born in Seoul in 1975, and he was a graduate of uh, the Department of Entertainment and Acting at uh, Kongju Communication Arts College. He performed military, military service and after discharge studied theater and trained at the Actors 21 Academy before embarking on a film career in features and shorts. And uh, 2005 was quite a, a turnaround, uh, seemingly, as he both won the Best Actor at the Missing Scene, Missing Scene Short Film Festival for his performance in Ooh, You Make Me Sick. But he also directed his first film around this time, Always Behind You, which got him an Audience Award at the Seoul Independent Short Film Awards. And he combined this with minor roles in several mainstream films, such as Le Formidables, I suppose you pronounce it that way. Yeah, yeah. French and Korean, not my, not my thing, I suppose. Uh, I do my best, but uh, anyway, Morn the First Day was another mainstream movie where you could catch Jang Ik Jun. And he put himself, though, on the critics map with 2008's uh, Breathless, which uh, in addition to the financing we talked of, received the post-production support by the Asian Cinema Fund and received much acclaim after premiering at the 2008 Busan International Film Festival, and it has received 20-plus awards, maybe more by this time during its international film festival circuit, and its uh, cinema release in Korea is said to have been better than most independent films with 130,000 admissions. For the moment, thing is that uh, also fair to say that that is way above, um, way above what the independent cinema gets in terms of admissions if they get a cinema run? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's 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 pretty good going, um, and it comes from 
the acclaim he got from all those film festival after film festival. I mean, the the reason Breathless got released was because they thought they could make money because of the word that was going around rather than it being released and then building to get acclaim. Um, that's pretty good going. Right on. And uh, he continues to work, among other things, in uh, in supporting roles in the comedy-slash-road movie Looking for My Wife in 2010. And he then ventured into TV acting in the melodrama The Innocent Man, where he played a menacing small-time thug. And we know he can do that pretty well. He can bring the attitude, because that's part of the Breathless performance. Uh, no other features on the horizon uh, uh, as a this recording, uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of credits, but Young has continued to direct short films as w- and was one of the four celebrities, including Park Chan-wook, who made one such a short film using a, a, a smartphone phone, Samsung Galaxy S4 as their primary working tool, with the theme being Meet the Life Companion. And Yang's short Dance Together had a Japanese woman encountering someone new through her cell phone after having parted with someone else prior. I know you've uh, uh, praised uh, Pak Chan-wook's uh, mobile phone movie, but have you seen uh, Yang's uh, short movie? I haven't, indeed. It's the only one of his short movies I have seen. I was dreading you asking about, you know, the older stuff, because you just can't get hold of it. But I've seen the Galaxy S4 one, and out of the four, I think there were four directors that did... A piece each for it his is the only one that i've seen and i saw it without english subtitles so my you know my korean isn't as it should be so 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 but by the way because i'm drawing on memories of us talking of a park chan wook uh, smartphone movie but maybe he made another one you know with another phone <laughs> because i i think you said that you adored his short movie but maybe it wasn't part of the, the smartphone program if you will park chan the park chan short film that that i talk about endlessly is the night fishing thing which was the iphone thing gotcha so he was part of another program it, it was just it was just a completely separate thing and i assume the s4 deal the four directors was just samsung saying actually that was a good idea let's do the, let's do the same thing or let's do it better let's get four people and do a similar sort of deal so it was a separate event if you like i i, I like when those kind of programs that 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 seem so transparent on the surf, surface that oh my god it's like four commercials but it can work out very well i mean if the, the directors are are allowed to be creative with the format and the tools that they're giving. I mean, I'm thinking way back when BMW did a series of short movies starring Clive Owen as the driver, and various short movies by John Woo, Ang Lee, Guy Ritchie, Wong Kar-wai did one. It was like really, really good because nothing felt like you know, buy the latest BMW yeah, because yeah, they yeah. were like real movies, like some really harrowing, some really affecting, some really cool action movie. Tony Scott made one called uh, Race with the Devil, I believe, which was so much fun. So, um, yeah, so it, it can work rather than being just commercials. I agree. And it, it all comes down to the filmmakers, really. And as long as they're allowed to do what they're good at doing, you know, you look at any, you look at that Yang Ek Jun, you look at, Park Chan-wook's short films that were for the selling of a phone. And it never feels like that. They feel like real films. They feel like important films. So I think it's a wonderful thing. 
before we leave uh, Jung's bio behind, any, any spontaneous notes if you have any on Jannik Jung's work as an actor and short movie director, you know, prior to Breathless or even post Breathless? I mean, f- first of all, have you ever noticed him as an actor as such, or has he been in like two small roles to be truly noticed? I mean, through his career, he's done those tiny little roles that. Once you know who he is and you go back, you think, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is again. And it occurred to me after we did the Christmas podcast, um, the film I picked was a dribbly piece of Korean cinema called Happy Hero Christmas. Just when when you brought up the idea of let's do Breathless, it just pinged in my head. I thought I never even mentioned the fact that Yang Jun's in it as a gangster and not a very good gangster at that. And... Anybody that's listening to this, if you can get a hold, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. Happy Hero Christmas. Just watch it for Yang Ik Jun on his own because it's the funniest gangster scene you will ever, ever see. The film itself is is not good, but he's worth watching. On top of that, he's been in some incredibly important stuff in terms of the list of films that, that you would call classic Korean cinema. I mean, he was in Iran... He was in No Manners, which was also, I think it was released as Contact, Contact Zero, I think, Some, that, which was er, one of the early ones, 2001, 2002, Monday, Thursday, as you mentioned. And he's been in endless, endless stuff as these tiny little roles, but he always makes his face felt. He always makes it, his part noticeable. Um, I think he's a wonderful actor. I think he's a great director. But the fact that he hasn't really done anything since Breathless just makes me think he's as happy to be an actor as he is a director. And Breathless was as much to get something that he needed to say said. Or, or maybe take his time finding a new project. Yeah, I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. You know, you know, you're speaking of Richard E. Grant. I don't think he directed has directed a movie since uh, Wawa. Because that was what he had in him. That was his story. And uh, afterwards, he's kind of been acting, uh, you know, going the natural route. Yeah. You know, rather than like, got to find another movie, man. You know, he's, uh, because uh, Wawa was not Transformers or anything. It was obviously a personal movie. So uh, you you don't get employed necessarily like off the, off the, off the bat. So, but, but, you know, hopefully, uh, Jiang will find a project that he wants to direct, you know, a feature project. Uh, and hopefully there'll be some. Additional magic there because in Breathless, there's a, a whole lot of magic there. But the, hey, if you only did one movie, man, that's a pretty good one to have in your bio. Well, exactly, exactly. Uh, so moving on to leading lady Kim Cot B, and uh, I know Paul has met and interviewed this uh, leading lady of Breathless, and uh, I thought it'd be fair to give her a bit of a spotlight as well because of that. And uh, you, you, you have some words on your encounter, I'm sure, with the lovely young actress. Uh, but uh, you, you'll have to restrain yourself. We'll we have to talk of uh, who she is before uh, before we do that. She was born in 1985 and started acting in theater productions at the age of 10 and uh, started appearing in films at the tender age of 15. Uh, she was uh, appearing as an extra in the 2001 film My Boss, My Hero when she was spotted by a staffer and asked to audition for the movie Jealousy is My Middle Name. And this led to bit parts in big movies subsequently, as well as appearances, appearances in independent movies. And that was all like a good way to build up experiences. Uh, and uh, those work habits, you know, con- working fairly continually led to bigger exposure and critical acclaim in Breathless. Uh, 
And the director, Jang Hik Joon, had seen her in the short movie Not a Girl, which is a story about abortion, apparently. So uh, his eyes sort of and his ears kind of perked up seeing her uh, seeing her in that movie. And he cast her as this spunky high school girl with an abusive past in uh, Breathless. And she has received multiple acting awards from both the local Grand Bell Awards as well as from Le Palmas de Gran Canaria International Film Festival. And... It all has led to steady work, um, including uh, in the Vacation Island Mystery Magic and Loss, the dark and violent animated film The King of Pigs, which I believe is a terracotta uh, acquisition for the UK. It is indeed, yeah. And uh, Jang Hik Joon did, uh, also did voice work for that movie as well as hers. And uh, she and other indie actresses documented their lives and struggles in the documentary Mysteries, the actress of No Makeup Project. And uh, as late as 2014, Kim took the lead role in the Japanese horror film A Record of Sweet Murder. So she's branching out and keeping busy, this young actress. You know, take us back to meeting and uh, being possibly incredibly enchanted by the, the young actress Kim Cotby. And uh, what is your perception of her like career trajectory? I mean, is it going up fast, steady, at a measured pace? Is, is it a possibly like a pace that she dictates herself rather than being swept away by the mainstream pace if you will so the floor's yours tell your story i really think the last point you made is the way she does it she runs her career as she sees fit you know she at her pace when she wants to do what she wants to do when i first met her she'd been living in london for i guess almost a year not doing very much she'd done a couple of little short films for you know people that were trying to get a short film made really and she did these for no money etc etc um and when i first met her i sort of said so you know you're taking a bit of a break and she was like yeah you know i'll go back when i feel that i want to go back when she did go back to korea does nothing for a couple of months and then suddenly she's you know in a big film and then she does nothing then she'll do some artistic thing then she'll do a couple of shorts she just she runs it as she feels i think she's just having fun with her career and building a reputation as she goes and you know you can say what you like about what she's done but her reputation is growing as it goes you know i can't imagine you find anybody that would ever say anything against her acting she's incredible and she's ultimately a lovely lovely lady you know when i got in touch with her I, she didn't know who I was. You know, I knew she was going to be in. I don't bother. I can see yeah, I've seen your movies. Um, <laughs> how it actually started was she was. They were doing a, a, a terracotta film festival, and her film wasn't even playing. She, they just asked her to come down, and Joey had sort of said, Come and meet Kim Copy. You can get DVDs signed, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, you know what? I'm not a fanboy. I hate doing that thing, but... I'm a pretty cool guy, so I'll come down there when I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, okay. So I took um, a film, one of my favorite, favorite films of all time, I have to say, a film called This Charming Girl, which she has a part in that lasts about 30 seconds. She's in a flashback to the main character's youth. And I took that, and I took... Ghost Theatre, which was Kim Copby's first lead role. 
And I set them in front of her and I said, would you sign my DVDs, which I never do. Um, and she just, we started a conversation. She was like, how did you get these? How do you know what these are? Um, and from that, I sort of said, well, you know, I'm, I write about, um, and I just said, look, I'd like to have a chat with you. And she went, well, I'm doing a screen here. Why don't you come down? We'll talk for a few minutes. I went down, met her. We talked for 30 minutes. She went and introduced the film. She came out. We talked for another 20 minutes. And then she said, right, let's go and get some food and we'll talk a bit more. It was phenomenal. She was so open, so friendly and so together in what she wanted to say and what she was happy to talk about. She talked about absolutely everything. She's a wonderful lady. I, I think she's incredible. Good that, uh, like, I, I know Korea isn't necessarily, like, filled with only actresses with an entourage and are, are incredibly spoiled. But regardless if it was like that or not, it or, it's always good to hear uh, a story of someone with a head on her or his shoulder. You know, that uh, isn't... Uh, career-driven to any disgusting degree, but... And she's obviously not, like, begging for money on the streets either, you know? She's obviously making a living of some sort, and therefore she can afford to do work for free or do small work and what have you, and uh, it's always good. I mean, she, she seems comfortable, and like, in her skin, therefore, uh, and in her career and what have you, so... Uh, I think even more than that, I think she just... She loves what she does. She loves her life, you know? If you meet her... If you've met her once, and you meet her walking up the street she will come running over to you you know hug you and go hi how are you and she's all what have you been doing what have you been doing she's never she's not one of these actresses that oh look i've been in a movie oh, i've done this i've done that she's just she's she's charming she's absolutely charming it's, it's funny with both him and her when i see their performances on screen versus their interviews. I can't recognize either of them off screen, even her, because you see that big smile of her. She, she's interviewed, obviously, on the DVD, and uh, you see uh, documentary footage of her. They're so separate from what you see in Breathless versus uh, their like, bubbly personalities outside of that. And that makes me really happy to see that you can't pick them out as such, that they're so... what they're putting on as performances is... Uh, quite a bit, you know, quite a lot of layers without it being literal layers, you know, yeah. they're not made up differently and and uh, got short hair versus long hair in real life or anything, it's, especially him, I when I look at him in interviews, man is that him in the movie? I think it is, it's supposed to be but I'm not too sure sometimes because the demeanor and uh, the look of him seems so uh, different. Totally, I, I mean I, on, the, on that note, if you want to see a film that would make you think, oh, now I know who Kim Copy is. Watch Ghost Theater. You know, if you if you like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you'll love Ghost Theater. She's she's a little schoolgirl that ends up in this cinema that's inhabited by people, and it turns out they're all dead. And she ends up doing a whole Rocky Horror Beetlejuice sort of deal. Um, she sings, she dances, and she's got that big grin that you see on the DVD. Of breathless, uh, the you know the extra thing, the interview um, mm -hmm. through the whole film, she's having a ball, and when you watch it, that's what Kim Copy is. That's that's the lady behind the role, if you like. So you know, go watch Ghost Theater, 
um, just to see what she's like aside from her in Breathless. So, before we discuss the movie, I think it's only fair to shine a light on the company that brought Breathless to the UK and here to talk of the company and that process and that movie is the owner of Terracotta Distribution. So I welcome back Joey Lung to the show. I don't know if you remember if you were on this podcast on fire before, but it's your first time on What's Korea Zilma, so welcome sir. Thank you, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's get cracking and get into it. Uh, I'm sure people know of their Terracotta Distribution, but just for reference sake, uh, want to tell us a little bit about how it all came about. It's been a few, uh, you've been about for a few years now, right? Yeah, so this is probably our seventh year now. I've lost count now. It's about seventh or eighth year. Um, and it started as a germ of an idea because I've worked at different um, studios like you know Universal and Sony, etc. Um, and I saw that they did have Asian product, but it wasn't really getting released. So, for example, Miramax sat on Hero for ages before it was ever released, right? Um, and Sony had great success with Crouching Tiger, but the the other titles they didn't really do much with it like for example uh, Paprika um, they, it wasn't really a, a big release for them but to us it's quite a major film so I just thought well if Sony can operate on that scale and have their big you know, Casino Royales maybe there's a place for a smaller one-man band let's say um, with small overheads and a smaller title get a bit of TLC and it may achieve a wider audience than if, they, if it was just another conveyor belt product in um, in the uh, big sort of studio arsenal. So that's how it all came about. Um, and luckily I traveled to some film festivals, did a bit of, sort of field research, saw some amazing films, some films that would never have been released here. Um, and I thought, well, why wouldn't it be? And it's just all it is is it's missing a middleman. So I came up with the ethos, look, there's films over in Asia and there's an audience here waiting to watch these films. And I know there's an audience here having some run some numbers and did some research. And from my own experience growing up as a kid, lending my friends, you know, VHSs of once upon a time in China and, you know, hard-boiled and stuff. I know mm-hmm. people like the, the Asian movies. So the ethos is really, here's a film in Asia, here's some audience in the UK, let's just get cracking, let's just see if we can match the two together by whatever means necessary. I mean, it doesn't have to be with the traditional DVD method, whatever there is easy sort of, uh, point of least resistance to get the film from Asia to the UK so someone can watch it, then, you know, that's that's sort of, the sort of approach I'd like to to, uh, to have. And it started as one-man band, and actually with my wife as well. We kicked off, we started with a title called Hansel and Gretel, um, and then we've just grown ever since, really. So, yeah, that's how it was. And what a title to start with, and we'll certainly chat about Hansel and Gretel, you and I, a little bit later. So you, you talked a little bit, little bit about that mission plan going in and the selection process. But So clearly, you, you mentioned hard-boiling once upon a time in China, but that's not necessarily the selections via the process so like now in 2015 uh, what what is the selection process like is it a mixture of personal like of a movie versus this has audience appeal in the uk yeah i think that has always been our kind of an ethos right so uh we've always released films that we really love um without any restriction on genre or country as long as it's uh, east asian asian because when we talk to people, hey, we're an Asian movie company when you go to film festivals and, you know, they think we do Bollywood or something, right? But we just make it very clear the distinction is East Asian. Um, and we've not really been bound to any directors. You know, we've really stuffed by Johnny Toe, for example, but we've also loved um, championing new directors like Sam Butas with his film Red Light Revolution. It's a really funny sort of comedy set in Beijing. And he's from Melbourne originally, but he, you know, spent a lot of time in Beijing and he made a Mandarin language film. 
Um, so, you know, we, we just go across all different sort of backgrounds and genres and stories. And the main thing is, like, it's a great story that's either original or funny or something that will resonate with the UK audience. I think that's the most important thing, that matching concept I've got, which is here's a film, here's someone who'd like to watch it, let's match the two together in whatever way we can. Uh, even stuff like Pang Brother stuff we've released as well, you know, ever since they've had massive critical acclaim with the eye and, you know, they tried to cross over in Hollywood with... Um, it Messengers, it's called. Yep. I don't know what they called it over there. They might rename that. Someone remember. made a sequel of that as well, but they weren't involved, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, I need, need to see that. So, you know, that is the sort of approach, and we've always wanted to do films we love, but you've alluded to it. You're absolutely right. We do need to put in a degree of commerciality in there as well. And when I say commerciality, I'm not just saying big budget blockbuster films, but we're finding that. And again, it goes back to let's not be bound by tradition and the way business is and accepted practice, right? So we found that, okay, we still need to have that element of DVD sales, but there's less and less outlets now in the UK where you can actually sell DVDs. In fact, there's probably like only HMV left on the high street and FOP, which is, they're both doing great jobs of trying to champion specialist movies. Everything's online. All people are just downloading legally or just buying from import sites that are based in Asia. So we're finding all these challenges where we have to either be faster than um, the uh, import side, so we have to show something different or something a bit rarer or put some nice special features of its DVD, uh, make a nice transfer. Um, so what we're going to look for is just a mixture of films we love and things that w- might be slightly more commercial or maybe fall between the, fall between both. I mean, it doesn't mean that we hate a film we put out just because it's commercial. There may still be a commercial film out there that we absolutely love, you know. So that's going to be the sort of stuff um, we're going to approach with that sort of mindset for 2015 and have been doing for actually since 2014 as well. To get everything going, we have a, a great team of programmers um, and we've organized people along sort of like genre or language lines and we've started the Terracotta brand as well. I'm not sure if you or your listeners are aware, but we've started a horror sort of imprint and we called it the Terracotta. And we've released already like four or five titles on there, like Death Bell and Tokyo Fish Attack. And we really, want, we really want to push that a bit more. I mean, that's a case, an example where horror, um, as everyone knows, is a very sellable genre. You just got to make a decent horror film and it sells. It's very hard to, even rubbish horror films sell very well. You know, it's very hard to mess up the horror sort of formula. Um, and to find a great horror film we love, it's from Asia, fits the sort of terracotta sort of like image. That's another area where we'd like to focus on as well. So that's the sort of selection process, if, uh, if you will, if you want to get behind a bit of the, uh, the understanding of how product reaches the streets. And you've alluded to what you are doing and uh, what, what sort of like vaguely will happen during the rest of 2015 and what, what the sort of future hold for, holds for Terracotta. But what, what else at, like, at the time of recording is there to say about the rest of 2015 for Terracotta? So there's quite a lot going on, actually. So we've already started our sort of classic Kung Fu series. We've released, and again, another example of stuff that's commercial as well as something we'd love, you know, some rare gems from the vaults of Kung Fu films that have either been forgotten or, you know, overlooked. You're warming my heart because you're returning <laughs> to Taiwan, actually, for, yeah. for, for these. And I have a beating heart for Taiwan, uh, not just Kung Fu, but uh, certainly that warms my heart. I'm happy to see. That's awesome. We've got one fan there, at least. Brilliant. So we've got, we've got, you know, late 70s, sort of Taiwan, early 80s Taiwan action. And Taiwan in its heyday was challenging Hong Kong mainstream sort of cinema. In fact, Hong Kong didn't really have a big sort of cinema output. And Hong Kong was doing a lot of Mandarin um, language films as well until really the 80s when Cantonese language stuff took off. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, Taiwan's got a whole minefield there. Not minefield, the whole 
treasure chest that we could start mining. Um, so we've got rare, unseen, classic titles that we're putting out. I mean, even things like Andy Lau in a small role in, in Shanghai 13, for example, it's kind of like a ensemble expendables or Johnny Toe mission style kung fu movie, which is brilliant. You know, people haven't seen that before. We want to put it out. So aside of the classic kung fu stuff, as you know, we also do a film festival. Um, and we just announced that we're not going to be doing the festival in a format that people know for this year, and we're revamping to something completely different for Terracotta 16 next year, and that will take at least a year to a year and a bit to prepare. So we've started preparing for that already. Um, the reason we're doing that is, you know, we've got to stay relevant. It's been seven years now. Let's try and revamp it. There's so many festivals now in the UK. It's so competitive. Um, and instead for this year, our approach is going to be do a series of smaller events around the country. Um, everything's still in preparation stage, so it's not that I don't want to tell you what's going on, but really don't have a lot to say at this stage. That's too exciting, but just keep an eye out. You know, you guys can always follow our Facebook page or just keep listening to the great podcast you're doing and find out more news about what Terracotta's doing. Uh, so the Facebook page is forward slash Terracotta Festival. You can follow all the news there. We may also be looking at different types of content. We may not necessarily have to stick to Asian language content as well, but that's also a discussion point we're having internally and evaluating. So we talked about the festival not being arranged this year, but you're still doing projects elsewhere. So you, the whole outfit you included seems like you, you're a group of men and women who like to have many things going on at once, a lot of plates spinning. Is, is it a suitable amount of projects ongoing or, you know, to be liked about it? Are you, are you exhausted as a matter of fact, Joey? I I am actually permanently tired, but that's part of the fun, I guess. I mean, it's rather my my thinking is like just do it and try. If it doesn't work, just try something else, right? And rather than just sit there and and, and not try at all, I, I want to try everything, and that's probably why I'm exhausted. And exhausted is a new norm now, so I'm just kind of used to it. Yeah, ch- yeah, chase whimsies, if you will. Like uh, you 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 would lose sleep not pursuing certain avenues i mean uh, yeah. that's the that's the two uh, options you have in front of you so uh, yeah that's that's pretty much it but at the same time you don't want to burn yourself out so that you lose focus and make wrong decisions um and then there's, there's other you know non-work commitments you want to balance as well like family and friends and things like that as well right so, exactly. so yeah it's, it's, it's definitely uh in, it's been a great journey so far for the last seven years and hope we keep going for that as well and le- let's bring it back to the main topic here and uh, we have breathless to talk about and how was the whole process of bringing Breathless to the company? I mean, again, you've talked about your 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 big team. So, who who was it, or how did it come to to your attention? And uh, finally, uh, for for DVD release in the end, I mean, uh, what was what was the journey like? Yeah, so one of our acquisition managers, a uh, lady called Claire, who's been looking after Korean films, spotted this. It's kind of like A and R scouting in music industry, I guess, the equivalent of what these programmers and acquisitions people do they go out to all these festivals and they watch the films and instead of just watching a gig and saying hey this band's really cool you need to find them they'll go to the festivals and watch the films and and, and come back and say look we think this film's going to be a potential breakout hit uh, and it was it was amazing it was i watched it and immediately i was like what just hit me <laughs> you know that's just an incredible film and to find out afterwards actually it's fairly autobiographical it's based on the director's own life story a little bit yeah yeah uh, it's just amazing to see that the guy who was in that environment has now made a transition to become part of a film crew and then made his own film about his own life story and be so i mean he bears a lot into the film as well um it was just very refreshing it was indie and raw but without it was very technically accomplished i thought but it wasn't indie in terms of it was it was um 
uh, what's the right word, unpolished. It just felt like a great movie to watch from start to, to end. Um, and it was very emotionally intense. You felt very drawn into the character. So there's no set criteria of what films you want to pick up, but haven't watched that and got that feeling and that reaction and that desire to tell people about it and evangelize. Hey, you want to see this film? It's amazing. You've got to watch it. You know, having that, that had that factor. I think a lot of films we watch and it's got to have that kind of a factor. And if it does, then more than often than not, we, we try and pick it up and try and release it. So Breathless definitely took that box for us. Is this the sort of movie that you can pop in quite frequently because it's a good drama or is it draining for some reason for you? A lot of people said it's quite harrowing and tough to watch, but they loved it ultimately and they're glad they watched it all the way to the end. For me, I, I watched it probably about six or seven times during the, the product development stage because you have to, right? You have to QC it. You're going to make sure the subs are correct. So this was back in the in the day when we were still a fairly fledgling company, so we couldn't afford people to do the subtitles, for example. So we built our own subtitles files. We didn't do the translation. Someone had translated them already, thankfully. It seemed correct. The, the amount of C words used seemed correct anyway. It seemed correct. <laughs> in the context okay, of good. the story. <laughs> that's good. As long, as long as the translator did a good job. So my job was to sync up the C words and the F words to, the, to what was going on in the screen. So that was, I mean, I watched that during that whole process. And, and to get the final product, I mean, it was, it was just very satisfying. Um, we, we approached the rights holders and said, look, we're a new company. We've released these titles. We'd give it a bit of TLC if you haven't released it with anyone else. If you haven't like, you know, talked to anyone in the UK about releasing it, we'd very much love to do it. And this is our plan for doing it. And um, they said, yeah, why don't you give it a go? And we did. We, we, we came up with uh, a plan of action. So it played at the London Korean Film Festival. Um, and Yang Ek-jun came over uh, alongside with Kim Kok-bi as well, the, the main actress, the schoolgirl in it. We stayed in touch with them. Those are two fantastic people. They're just so much fun to be with. They're completely against type to what you see on the screen. You'd expect them to be very serious and shouty, but they're not. They're just really lovely people. And we've actually become mates. So we'd go and see each other if we visit each other's cities, for example. Um, and then we did a theatrical release. And this was back in the time when there was support from COFIC, the equivalent of the UK sort of Film Council, or the BFI now it is. So they would support Korean films exhibited in overseas countries and they would give distributors the money to help them. So that was back then when there was financial support and we were able to put films like Hansel and Gretel and, and Breathless into UK cinema screens. And now A, the COVID fund is gone and B, it's just so tight for competition to get screens now. I mean, literally only a handful of cinemas would play Breathless now. I mean, it was, what we're talking about was six years ago, five years ago now the landscape's completely changed. I think we'd probably only get two or three cinemas away in Breathless, but we managed to get a nationwide release in specialist cinemas in different cities. Um, and so that was very good, uh, and we wish there was more stuff like the COVID fund available. Um, and we also put a lot of effort into the DVD release. So when the director and actor did come over for London Korean Film Festival, which is an excellent festival to check out, by the way, if you like Korean films. I know you're not a big fan of Korean films, but if you do come to London in October or November, that's definitely a a festival to check out. Um, and when Yang Ejun and, and Kim Kopi came over to London, we managed to secure some of their time to do some special feature interviews. And I think that's also another thing about what we try and do is try and have some exclusives. You can stream Breathless online, I guess, if you wanted to illegally, if that's your kind of thing. You could probably download it from your mate or you know rip it from a DVD, but you can't you know, physically own this product. And I think a lot of people like owning our product where we've put in a bit of effort into it. It's got a nice um, sort of glimmering case. It's got beautiful artwork. 
It's got sleeve notes by Tony Raines. It's got two discs. It's got extra features and very insightful sort of interview um, into how the film was made, so, yeah, the background to it. So, yeah, that's the sort of journey, I guess, from first seeing a film to getting the product out there. And it was just very satisfying seeing that happen. Breathless is definitely um, a hard film to release now because the, the landscape's completely different. So that journey would be completely different. Um, but I would happily watch it over and over again, as, as would you. And the performances are so strong and you get immersed so much, like you said. Um, it's actually Emma Watson's favorite film. And she read an interview in, I think it was like Vogue or something. Um, and she listed three films and they weren't Asian films. They were like two other non-Asian films and Breathless. And I just checked whether it was the French Breathless or not. And it wasn't. And right. she named <laughs> Breathless, Breathless director Yang Ik Jun. She even named the director as well. So that was just incredible to read that someone like Emma Watson, who everyone knows from the Harry Potter films, has watched Breathless and even named it as one of her favorite three films. That's just gratifying. So let's finally talk Breathless review and discuss the movie a little bit more in detail. And my quick opinion, first of all, and you can share your quick opinion before we go in depth after mine. My go, mine goes, stay during the avalanche of cursing and beating up of, beating up of men and women all in the first minute. You know, please stay and you'll be awarded with a clear-headed, well-conveyed and heartbreaking tale of hate and anger stemming from family issues and heartbreak. It is a tough watch, maybe too depressing for some, but it is a splendid and affecting debut movie. But please stay, please stay. Uh, so uh, in short, uh, Paul, uh, what do you want to say uh, about your your love for Breathless? Because I know you do like it. Incredible film. And much as you say, stay for it. You know, the the number of people, as we, as we talk, I'll tell you a quick story about someone who couldn't manage the film because of the... The first five minutes, stick stick with it, stick through the harshness of the and the intensity of that first section because it's as important for the rest of the film as the rest of the film is for it. And an astounding film that's worth your attention for the whole duration. Yeah, it's fairly long, 100, 130 minutes, but um, not uh, too long in my opinion. I think it uh, actually flows very well. But yep, it's a, it's a struggle, no, not a struggle, but I know I can tell pretty for certain anyway that many audience members would have a hard time standing what's being launched at them within the first five minutes. Unfortunately, uh, Young Ik Jun uh, opens with so much shaky cam but that, that that calms down but that that's also very dissing so you think to yourself uh-oh a debut director a first-time shaker as well yeah. oh no hope it's not like this but, uh, what it turns out to be is only during certain intense moments he uses a very shaky camera otherwise it's very very calm but we got a vile edgy world here you know at least um, partly uh his characters enters the scene when another man that we never know because he's only in this uh, one scene beats up a woman so he he establishes himself seemingly as an angel because he be, he's a man and he steps in and uh, and he beats up the guy great then he both spits in the woman's face and i think hits her as well yeah repeatedly you know he's got us and then he's lost us obviously because you don't do that but you gotta stick with that. You gotta stick with that character. That memory won't be erased. But it's so brave to believe in your movie so much and your character that much that his journey will be, you know, positive to quite a big degree. But 
why on earth he he hits a woman you know it's 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 not justified at all but it's part of this irrational hate and rage and anger that he needs to deal with and unfortunately very much unfortunately he deals with it in this scene in this manner he blames the woman for being whatever he says to her i mean the movie is so filled with cursing that it's impossible to quote something because uh, there's so much of it you know the cunt is uttered about 500 times in this movie including about 20 in this scene alone you 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 mentioned a story is that something you've experienced where people have walked out within the first five five ten minutes of the movie yeah i've got i've got two very very quick stories um i went to see breathless for i guess my third viewing just because it was it was a terracotta thing and you know i like hanging with joey and whatever and i took a friend a, a very old friend and his wife and his wife adored it. She she got every nuance. She she knew where it was coming from. He who you know is what mid forties sort of guy um, made it through about fifteen minutes, and then he disappeared. And um, we came out of the cinema, and he was sitting outside the toilets. And I was like, "What what happened to you?" And he said, "I just I I just I just couldn't. It was just too much." And there, at every screening I've been to, there have been completely polarized audiences, people coming out at the end going, wow, and people coming out 15 minutes then going, I couldn't take that. So it is one of those films that if it's going to hit you badly, it's going to hit you really badly. It's quite a long journey to find where he's taking, you know, Sang-hoon. You know, that it, it is a hateful character who does repulsive things. And it's going to take a while before he drops a hint of developing this. This is due to this and this. And we're possibly going to take him somewhat more positive places. But we got 130 minutes and we, um, I'm going to try and make you sit there. So, so speaking of that shaky cam, I mean, it's maybe 95, 98% of the time in whatever cinema you're making, um, you know, action or drama... It's usually not a positive thing for me. Some get it, get away with it by being good filmmakers. I mean, here's another polarizing filmmaker. I'm a great fan of Lost Fontrier. Yeah, so am I. And his, his latter day stuff. I, I haven't seen the last three or four movies. I don't know if he's calmed down a little bit, but obviously Dogville, Mandalay and the, and the Dancer in the Dark and what have you. Very free floating, very, uh, just, um, him operating the camera and uh, pointing it to wherever he feels like. It's not structured, but it works in the hands of this, that visionary. And uh, Young Ik Jun, when he does use it, is uh, definitely, it's warranted. But thankfully, he's got a calm camera language on his mind as well. Mm. A lot of actors sitting there interacting in the frame only, which is uh, a wise choice rather than like people talking over dinner you don't need the camera to move all the time yeah. and over the shoulder like i'm but he's not that transparent debut director is my point which is very assuring from uh that a first-time director gets that because believe me even veteran directors don't get that i'm i'm, I'm gonna go on a sm- very small rant but I'm, I'm gonna say it anyway i tried to watch the movie hancock the Will Smith movie, where he's an yeah. alcoholic superhero, which is a big budget CGI movie filled with shaky cam a la Lost von Trier for no reason whatsoever. And I got like dizzy, like this, this is a boardroom meeting 
put the camera. No, I can't take this. I, I, I could not finish that movie. I, that, that was like 10 minutes of it and that, that was it. So it, it depends on who, who the filmmaker is, I suppose, and, uh, what the environment, uh, the, like the, the story, what the story dictates and what have you. For that movie. No. And, and I think in terms of that for Breathless, he, he gets away with it, certainly in that early scene, because that's essentially what it is. It is insanely brutal. It is, it is shaky the whole way through it. So it sort of fits and it's sort of jarring in the fact that you're going to feel jarred going into it anyway it works for me but i i agree on a lot of occasions that just would not sit well he clearly shows and uh, it's a choice that works throughout the movie that his whole movie his characters the events the story is very undiluted it's very unfiltered and his character you know acts and speaks on first impulse, you know, whether it's a violent impulse or a verbal, you know, irrational impulse, uh, that he's not kind to anyone, slash those who are kind to him and that he kind of can talk to calmly, they talk in uh, in cursing, essentially, with each other, you know, the uh, his boss in the gangster uh, his uh, gangster boss who collects all the money. They they seem friendly, but all they call each other is like you, <sighs> bastard, cunt, <laughs> cunt. What do you talk about, cunt? It's borderline. Are they friendly with each other, or what's going on here? Because they're not smiling. Like, hey, what's up, you stupid cunt? But you know, he's rather like, D- shut up. What, what what are you talking about, you bastard, you cunt? <laughs> so like, you the the guy who wrote the subtitles probably captured it very very realistically that, that this is a very profane movie. So if you're offended by that, then you're gonna run out of the movie theater quite quickly as well because the c word is the dominant word in this movie almost. Uh, but it never becomes too much to be very honest because you you forget about it and young makes us focus on the dramatic dramatic side to it and the story you know, this, the story drive here thankfully rather than him showing off when it's definitely not about showing off uh, what else is there well the camera as I said calms down we get into the story uh, and he captures his moments quite calmly too which is very reassuring that it's almost documentary in style that way too. That we are there's merely a camera placed in the corner of a room that captures various scenes in the in the caravan where they receive their work orders to go out in. And uh, I say caravan; it seems like a caravan anyway, uh, where they get their work orders before they go out and collect debts and what have you. It's just a, a series of long takes, uh, and it's entirely fascinating. I mean, is that an aspect uh, that works for you in the movie where he simply lets lets it run for a couple of minutes? Um, uh, because he would have been frustrated in the wrong filmmaker's hands where you want to cut. But uh, here, personally, I I would love for it to go on for ten minutes, some scenes between two people, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I, I think it works in, on every level, you know? And the fact that he's got, as he said, good friends that he trusts around him means that he can leave it going and let them carry it off there's there's scenes with kim copy's character and her brother in a room that that carry on with one camera sitting that go on for a long time and it's insanely intense um and i actually wouldn't have minded it going on longer as well because it just it takes everything out it makes it a documentary and lets the the actual actors do what they're supposed to do without anything else getting in the way. 
that's the magic of the movie that he drops a little bit throughout the movie where, where there is something saint-like in him. You know, the fact that he gives away his wages to a kid. And shortly after, we know that's his sister's kid. But he don't want to even interact with her. So it's his way of sort of reaching out, I suppose. But there's like only small hints dropped and continually dropped throughout the movie rather than playing his entire deck of cards instantly, which I think is a very good sign of confidence in himself and, and his vision. I mean, he trusts his audience to stick with this vile man. It's the woman he beats up in the first scene. That's not the first woman he beats up, you know, within the first 20 minutes. He's got two. And the, and the second one is Kim Cotby. Their intro scene involves uh, a wonderful piece of uh, timed comedy where, where he, he's, he pauses on the street and then... <laughs> and like the, the spit ends up on her chest, uh, on her school uniform. And I love that, the timing of that gag. It's just so, <laughs> so casual. It made me laugh so much. And she is not obviously, obviously not going to take it lying down like, hey, hey. What are you doing? And then he be, and then he uh, slaps her, and uh, she gets uh, unconscious after one slap or one punch. And that takes a lot of guts. Pull off and asks us subsequently to sit with him and sort of side with him. Eventually, you know what I mean? It must have been so challenging to get the audiences to stay after five minutes and even twenty minutes after he beats up Kim. But but it never feels. It, it never. I, I don't know about you, Paul, but. Even for the first 20 minutes, I felt there was something there rather than like, I'm disgusted by this, I want to leave now. Even after he's beaten up two women, I think there's something there. Something intrigued me, and that was more than enough for me to carry on. And, and it's never frustrating, you know. I totally agree. And I think, for me anyway, part of what kept me pulling back to him is the fact that she pulls back to him, even though he knocks her out. It's her sort of story that you you follow to find out about him. And it should be said as well that, you know, if nothing else, he doesn't discriminate. You know, if you look at Korean cinema over the last couple of years, there have been a fair few films that, I hate to say it, but have got a bit of misogyny about them where, you know, you've got a bloke who does just go and beat women, who does just treat women like shit, um, the one good thing about the character of Sang Hoon is that he just doesn't give a shit. It's it's violence against anyone that steps in his way, you know, whether it's a woman, whether it's a schoolgirl, whether it's a man. So almost he, he's non-discriminatory. And cops and, as well. Yeah, exactly. So so maybe you know at least at least he's not at least he's not being a misogynist. Let's follow him. I I followed her story which led me to understand him. Um, that's how it worked for me. It, it really is the magic of why they find a connection, why they have a report. I mean, even a rapport. Because even in that scene, after he's knocked her out, she's got an ice bag on her face, but he's still there talking to her. He feels some kind of obligation to not just leave her there, or he's curious about her. Like, who is this that I just beat up? Hey, she, she's got attitude. You know, she's a cunt. But she's got attitude. I mean, that, that, that's what he would think. Like, he's the unfiltered nature of him. Like, you, you wouldn't, like, face him at all to call her the most vile things you can think of. And seeing them two in the scene, that scene together really started to get to me. That, in terms of, like, oh, he, he's got the, like, the simple camera setup and dialogue between two actors thing going. You know, he 
he realizes that he can pull this off. You can have a, a dialogue scene without any cuts for one minute or two. And, uh, you know, you got me, you know, go on. And it's not going to be lighter necessarily because it all tracks back to dual domestic abuse situations, you know, in childhood and ongoing. You know, for him, it tra- it's the classic thing of something uh, we, we we're not going to spoil a whole lot of mo- lot of things so that's why I'm a bit vague but so something like really heinous that happened to him and his family in his younger years and she's currently in a very abusive situation yeah. from her brother and her mentally ill father as well that's not what he picks up on but it's certainly what they realize they have in common you know they're both hurting it's uh it's 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 designed all of it is designed as fairly vague and merely hints dropped every now and again but the full picture is formed obviously eventually but you know, I, I, I like that that it's it takes a while for it to form if you will even 130 minutes uh, it, it it takes that for it to finally form i suppose I, I mean from beginning to end that the end is the final tally of it all where we realize aha so uh it all is you know violent seeds are planted and they're they're, they're growing which is uh that's when it's the most difficult to watch i think the domestic abuse situation in particular her scenes with uh, yeah. her brother who is, um, you know, as many, he's carrying a lot of rage and anger, and it's the classic psychological thing, I suppose. Uh, the real, the realistic psychological thing is you take it out on the weak. And in this case, there's no motherly figure present in uh, in her family, and obviously not his either. So you take out your anger on someone, and that's that's what makes, in particular, her scenes with um, her brother. And uh, who is terrific, and all actors are terrific. But that that's the scariest parts of the movie for me. Um, mm. So it's so unflinching and poignant too, rather than just a pouring on of darkness and uh, hoping that takes effect. But, you know, it's it, there's a lot of it, but not, you know, disgustingly so or anything. It's not like his brother is hugely violent and beats her up bloodily, but it, it's his bullying attitude and constant anger towards her, which is, that, that really got to me, to be honest. And I think the way he builds her character, especially, sort of makes makes those scenes all the harder because by that stage you're starting to know who she is and you're actually seeing someone that you started to care about being brutalized, um, which does make it an awful lot harder. It did for me anyway. Yeah, because she's not she is confident in a in some part during her some parts of her day, I suppose. But she's broken down, it's so effectively so, and she's wonderful in the movie and, re- and like responds to this uh, emotional place. Like she needs to go to an emotional place, which is not easy to do. Clearly, that's you know takes so much trust to uh, try and go there because it's not it's not about simple crying scenes and a swelling score or anything. Because of the way Young and his cinematographer shoots this, it feels extra real you talk about it feels like a documentary i gotta tell you it partly does here because it's so it's so hands-on filmmaking too like if there's going to be a push a little bit of slap you might need to make it physically felt a little bit too rather than carefully choreographed domestic abuse you know i'm sure there was some amount of pain i'm sure yeah uh, but but obviously trust too rather than someone improvising like hey i'm gonna slap you now help you know oh well, does it look good in the camera? Well, let's let's do it then. Let's break me down psychologically. Now, it's it's probably very planned and uh, very trusting, if you will. 
But you realize with him, though, uh, and especially, uh, you know, Jiang the actor, he's got his exterior, his hard exterior. And it's quite visible, that exterior, but there's some quite pronounced... I might sound really daft saying this, but I wrote down there's soul in those eyes of uh, yeah. Young and Kion's character, and they're quite visible too. It's it's like he's trying to cover it all up with cursing and some violence, but he is he is very transparent. He's suffering on the outside, but also sh- that, and that's why it makes sense where he tries to interact with his sister's kid that that mechanism of caring is not far off either but he's not able to do it um smoothly which is so fascinating that he doesn't want to care for his sister's kid in front of her but he does want to care for someone and that that all brings it to that he's got a violent seed like planted in his childhood and he wants someone to not have that he just wants to make sure someone doesn't have that there's no danger in his sister's son's life or anything. It's not like his sister is abusive to him. But he just wants to make sure someone grows up to not be him, I suppose. Which yeah. might sound pretentious. But there, there is he tries that rather than in as natural way as he can. But it's also not very natural for him. Which makes it all fascinating how he tries to uh, make it work. You know, you know, a magic, like a mad violent madman trying to be kind. It's not the most smoothest transition. He calls the kid a bastard and a cunt at some point as well. Like <laughs> he, try, he tried like is that a kind term? I don't know. I say it all the time. Maybe it is kind. I don't know. It seems like he just is trying and that 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 makes the performance so fascinating. It really is. And comical too, in a way, because um, when he tries to get away from I think his uh, sister and they're kind of arguing on the street and uh then two policemen show up, like, hey, what's going on here? We're just talking, we're just talking, and whoosh, through the frame, runs Jung yeah. <laughs> Ik-Jun, and off-screen just violently assaults these cops, which is my favorite comedic moment in the film. Like, It's cool, it's cool, whoosh. <laughs> he thought about it for one second and started beating up those cops. <laughs> Like, like he's got an eye for comedy too. Really, like the small like bits, the small bits of comedy that he uses here are quite effective. Uh, so I would love for him to do a comedy. It might work. And I think they make breathless what it is. The the fact that you know they are still brutal, but they do bring a little bit of light relief, um, which is much needed. I think. Yeah, and and not like extended uh, extended comedy relief or anything, but uh, rather just. Um, it might not be perceived as funny to everyone, but but I certainly thought that was very cartoony. Like, uh, like, <laughs> you know, when a character, a cartoon character, leaves the screen, they always leave a trail of dust behind them. It always, it it felt like that in a way. So, uh, but but it's amazing how he keeps it up. You know, he's got a clear vision here, and I I don't know where he. It's, some just got it. You know that um, you know vision and that depth for this for this kind of story in this case you know i don't know where it comes from but it's so inspiring and i know i would never be able to be this good and uh, i don't know if he can ever be this good but i would love for this to be a series of awesome movies you know if he, he he's got a vision that i don't know is he comparable to anyone in korea you think uh watching this movie do, do you think can you compare to any big director or independent director that he's um, as i say i mentioned isangu earlier on who did um He's done films like Mother is a Whore. 
Wow, that sounds uplifting. Well, hey, you, you know, it, it's it's the same thing. It's it's all people on the edge of society. What's wrong with Korean cinema? Violence. I, they're insanely difficult. They're as difficult as Breathless. Um, his latest film is called I Am Trash, which is about a guy who's a street cleaner and his entire family are one one's a pedophile, one's a rapist, one's mentally retarded who goes on tubes and abducts women, takes them to alleyways and rapes them. And the one character is stuck in the middle trying to stop them from being who they are. Um, every time I think of Yangek June and the depth of Breathless, I can't help thinking of, of Isangu because they're they're very they're very much from the same sort of ilk. They deal with the same stories. Um and they're equally as important as each other. Isangu used to be assistant director to Kim Ki Duck. So you sort of get an idea where they're all coming from, but they're almost, they're akin. You know, you could almost have a film festival. Not that anybody could sit through it all, but um, you could almost have a festival with their films under one theme. Um, you know, what what is wrong with people? What is wrong with Korea? What is wrong with society? Um, any spontaneous notes on when the... Um when Jang Ik-jun's character and Kim Kotb's character and the kid they, there is a section where they they are forming a small little family and are going on positive adventures together they're going on a, you know they're going on a you know a, a day trip to various uh, places you know how how does the like talk about that if you will and the, like the warmth in the movie like uh, what is the What do you think of when you think of the, like the warmth in the movie, like and how, how he how he does it? Because it's a vile movie, but it has warmth. You know, I think that middle section is it's one of the most important. When I say middle section, when it turns up, it's one of the most important sections in the entire film because it's them them as you say building a family. It's it's a bond form, and it's him being stripped away from the you bastard, you shithead, you cunt thing to becoming who he wants to be and and she's a huge part of that the kids a huge part of that and the way that's filmed the way the sound especially works it just it feels it feels like a different film because it really is it's a different underlying side it's it's the life that every one of those three would love to live but but it's not but it's not all that the, the wonderful thing is that the, you're absolutely spot on It's so wonderful to see that this actual warmth between them, but it doesn't mean that there's like a super happy soundtrack and everything is going well and we're all smiling. You know, it's a, it's he he can't smile naturally, so he's like held back. But you can see clearly that this is where he wants to go. This seems natural for him to go. You know, this is a unheard of warmth. So no wonder he can't like sit there and smile with them and. Um, You know, the first time he smiles, I think, is in the scene where he finds out her name for the first time, which is yeah. way into the movie. They're having a they're having a dinner uh, uh, or a midnight snack together. And what what was it? Uh, I wrote down uh, there. It's a wonderful one take between uh, Jang Ik Jun and Kim Kok Bee, and uh, they share their names. And uh, she says to him, like, "Your name is a baby name, baby's <laughs> name." He sits there and kind of like. Right. 
Right, 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 right. How do we come back from that? Oh, so he finds one way to make fun of her. So, so do you remember what he think her name sounds like? It completely skips my mind. You're going to have to remind me. Right, right, right. So the subtitles go, her, her name, you know, Yon He. It sounds like one bitch. Oh, it sounds like two bitches. <laughs> that he loves about, you know. It's another layer and a wall that is breaking down between them. It's obviously a miracle that two people can get along on that level and not, like, walk out on each other as soon as any mild or harsh, you know, insult is hurled towards them. Which is the fascinating aspect of that. They they started off on the wrong foot and kind of on the right foot at the same time because it, it seems like it was meant to be that they... They'll they'll grow to like each other, even though the curse words are going to, are going to fly. You know, I, I like that he takes away the focus from him and focus on you know from him as Sang Hoon and uh, onto the brother, you know, and uh, the brother of uh, her character. And that's um, what an amazing young actor, Lee Huan, is uh, the the actor's name who plays uh, Kim Kot Bee's brother. It doesn't seem like much on the paper. An angry young man too, but I'm sure he's such a sweet young kid. Because he, he doesn't seem very old. But his attitude towards her and how she breaks down as he, like, abuses her just by throwing, out, like, money at her or verbally abuses her. It's so heartbreaking and so hits you so much. And it comes from Li Huan's, I don't know, attitude. He looks like a pretty boy, of course. But such in, as many actors, so in tune with who they are and what attitude to bring to screen physically and mentally and what have you. It's so fascinating to watch that come to life because it really feels like it's come to life here, you know. And uh, I, I don't know if he's been in any other movies, uh, Lee Huan, but... Um... I mean, that, that's the funny thing because, you know, you you start to research stuff. You, you know Kim Coffey's been in loads of stuff. You know Yang Jin. And I wasn't sure what sort of stuff he'd done since. And I went and had a look and he's done very little. And you just think, how come? You know, that, that performance sort of was exemplary. Why, why, why haven't you suddenly become a lead actor in this, that, and the other? He's, he's, he's done very, very, very little stuff and very little movies, very little drama. Odd. Very odd, yeah. But what a performance to have on your resume, even though he might have a day job now. You know, elsewhere. Well, exactly, uh, exactly. But, um, yeah, he's part of that scary section of the movie as i said where you know kim fears for her safety from him and obviously from her senile father who threatens her with a knife at one point you know yeah yeah he, he's got like um vietnam flashbacks too so he doesn't really know where you know and he thinks their mother is still alive and it's, it's very um, it's a very scary situation as um as portrayed and i mean even more so in a documentary fashion between in one in particular, in the scene where the father, you know, turns the table, uh, turns the table uh, and uh, starts shouting at her, and the, the table or like the contents of the table hits the camera as well, so it feels almost uh, like it's shaking you as you watch it. You know, you know, t- talk about 3D almost, or 4D almost. <laughs> it deserves its outbursts, though. There's some melodrama here, but uh, or angry outbursts. So, so, do you think he strikes that balance between mm, underplayed and some? deserved loud scenes emotionally and uh, angrily if you will hugely you know anybody who isn't as good as he is would have turned that into your standard career 
ends in melodrama sort of deal and and taking it too far and he doesn't there is there is melodrama there but it's so under everything else that it just it works it works as a dramatic piece um i think his balance is as spot on as it could be like you said i think he's so brave for being so insanely vicious for such long periods of time and and until the breakdown i mean there there is a key scene where they're sitting at uh, the pier if you will and he uh, all of us he he's asked her out for like uh, come out and have a beer with me and uh, so, so something really crucial has happened at that point um, mm. to him and he all of a sudden uh, lays down in her lap and the emotions pour out talk about a confirmation of how good Jang Ik Jun and Kim Kok B are together and how good he is at it is a crying scene, but still very underplayed. And if you've been with the movie up until that point, that moment is so meaningful. Meaningful. It's not the end of the movie. I mean, we're probably about 40 minutes left of the movie at that point or something, but it's so meaningful. And, and uh, you know, the, the slight piano and guitar score comes in. A very sparse score, but wonderful usage of it. You can't ask for more perfection than that. No, you can't. And uh, that, that, for me... That one scene is, I love the the scene of them as a family together, if you like. But that one scene where he breaks down is the strongest scene of the whole film for me. Um, that that is breathless. That's that's the character of Sang Hun. That's that's him with her. That's everything. And and you absolutely can buy the fact that he's gone on that journey again. It's not the end of the movie, but he's gone on a journey from completely like uh, lost in all the negativity to finding warmth more clarity as to what his hate towards his father means because it, it's it's rooted in that you know uh, pretty early on is his uh, he beats up his father i think he does it two or three times in the movie to have gone that far i mean it just makes sense psychologically that you know he, he's gone good places but that emotional outburst is not him you know, taking several steps back, but it's, you know, kind of newborn humanity, if you will, in a way. Yeah, very much so. And with, without spoiling it at all, I'm not going to mention anything of the ending. I, I'm just going to say that that the movie can end with tons of laughter is um, pretty amazing, considering how it all plays out mm. and, you know, from beginning to end. That a movie can end on, end on such a... I might be spoiling it if I say a happy note, but I don't think I am, because the... Um, no. Nah, so I'm just going to say that that that, made, that 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 did my heart good as a human, I suppose, but also a fan of cinema. That uh, he brought it home, he really brought it home, bravely so, because it's uh, it's it uh, it's obviously not conventional all of this either. But yeah, it works and it deserves all the accolades it has received. And I think that's pretty much the end of my notes, I suppose. Do you have any other other spontaneous notes? Uh, the only thing I'll say is. The originality of it, yes, it's a story, the type of thing you've seen before in Korean cinema, but you haven't seen it like Breathless. You haven't seen, you've already said it, there's there's humanity there, there's humor there, and the way he pulls that entire story together to close it all off at the end, just, this is, this is a first-time debut feature director, really? Wow, incredible. As for availability, then, uh, as we've established uh, earlier on in earlier on in the show, Terracotta Distribution released this in the UK as a 
two disc special edition DVD. It was it, it was in cinema and probably played during the Terracotta Forest Film Festival, their own f- film festival. I'm not too sure about that, but I know it was in cinemas, uh, even if only a week or a day or something like that. But anyway, the DVD edition was said to be limited, but it's possibly was limited packaging uh, because it's still available, you know. Uh, so uh, and I, and I don't think the extras from the DVD are stripped or anything. Possibly like the booklets and some of the physical extras and the particular cover was an exclusive for a while, but it is still available in the two-disc edition that ports some extras from the Korean release, but also has some UK-exclusive interviews and Q&A from uh, screenings, uh, a screening or screenings in the UK, and all English subtitled where needed. So uh, it's a splendid edition that gives um, gives you a view into... Uh, into Jung Jun's mindset going into it and the making of and um, the making of the movie in in his own words and all of that and it's also at the time of recording slated to be available soon to rent from the Terracotta website so you can stream it in uh, on the website as well if you want to because uh, they are a present presence on iTunes but I don't think Breathless is available there on iTunes but Ter- Terracotta has select titles on there I think King of Pigs I saw on iTunes uh, so um, maybe this will hit iTunes eventually but uh, they, if you if you want to stream it and rent it that way they are offering up that eventually. So there we go, let's take a break and uh, after that let's uh, go into Korea's take on fairy tale horror if you will and if that is original or not because I'm curious if that is original. The, the director claims that the, the, this is not what we do in Korean cinema, so let's find out if there's 500 examples or if Hansel and Gret- Gretel are is the sole example of Korea even trying this out before embarking on a melodrama where everyone gets cancer for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> you, ju- you, just saw, you just summed up Korean cinema in one sentence. Wow. Everyone gets cancer. Again. <laughs> Like part two, electric boogaloo. Uh, but okay, let's not uh, let's not uh, waste any time. Let's take a short musical break, and then we'll be back to discuss Hansel and Gretel from 2007. So sit tight. But we won't be back until next episode, cliffhanger. But as I said earlier in these post recordings, for the sake of creating a more easily digestible running time for you listeners, despite this being a discussion about Korean cinema, which is by its default nature very very long, but we have. Come Cut out the section there for the second section of the original recording of what Korean Cinema 15 covering Hansel and Gretel. And it will instead be presented in the next episode, episode 16, next week as a matter of fact. So you don't need to wait a couple of months until you hear this conclusion. So thank you very, very much for listening. And here's the contact information once more. This has been What Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire network. Our website is podcastonfire.com. You'll find this and all our other various network shows on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, etc. on that very site, plus bonus episodes every now and again. Email us if you have any feedback, questions and comments, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Join us over on Facebook, like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. Join the discussion over in the discussion group. Search it out by typing in podcast on fire network in the Facebook search bar. 
follow our tweets. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. My writing of Hong Kong cinema, Taiwanese cinema, category free adult Hong Kong movies and ninja movies at SoGoodReviews.com and I video review at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. What's Korean cinema is available on iTunes and please, if you have the time, leave a star rating. Uh, that'll be very much appreciated if we know what you thought of the show and the show in general and if you have the time please uh, leave a comment uh, you know a sentence or two will act fine as a review we would love to hear from you so let's get some reviews up there on the old itunes but if you itunes but if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device there's the option of streaming them via stitcher radio they have an online presence but their application available on the apple app store and google play is the smoothest way to digest us in streaming form and on behalf of Paul Quinn, HangulCelluloid.com is his website covering Korean cinema. So thank you very much. Uh, this has been What's Korean Cinema 15. So see you next time for the conclusion of the big recording now turned into two smaller recordings. So thank you very much. This has been Kenny B. And uh, on behalf of uh, Paul Quinn as well. Bye-bye.